Hello and welcome to Full Send with Christina Kim. And Alan Shipnuck. We are back at it after a little uh, hiatus. Uh, well, one week. Seems like forever, Christina. I missed you terribly. Oh, I uh, miss you too, Alan. And huge shout out to Ryan French for being able to fill in on last week's podcast since I was traveling and unable to get to our immediate post Ryder Cup episode. Yeah, yeah. Ryan's the best. So um, he did a good job, but you know, there's only one Christina. So uh, thank you, Ryan. And um, back to originally scheduled programming. So hi, tell... Hi. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I love Ryan. Everyone loves Ryan. He's the best. Um, so tell the uh, viewers where you are at this moment. Listeners, uh, viewers. Right now, I am. I've, I'm in my second week here in New Jersey. We are uh, probably within a half hour of Newark or so, over playing at Mountain Ridge Country Club for the Cognizant LPG, the LPJ Cognizant Founders Cup, which used to always be held at the beginning of the year in Phoenix, and because of the pandemic, uh, Todd and I, we always say BOC nineteen because of. COVID-19. Things got switched around, moved around. We've uh, come across a new sponsor, which is fantastic. Cognizant's a great company, and it's on a phenomenal golf course. Back-to-back weeks on Donald Ross courses, and the two could not be, you know, they're, they're very, very different, and it's, it's awesome. I played Mountain Ridge ages ago. That place was pure... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure since you've played, they've taken out probably close to a thousand trees. Yeah, like mo- like most courses. I mean, I, I didn't. I don't remember being claustrophobic like some of those old northeast courses were. I mean, it was still pretty expansive, but I know they've been working on the course, and I'm, I'm anxious to see it again. But um, yeah, it, it's true. The in Atlantic City, I mean, it's a Ross, but it's very linksy and mm-hmm. um, different kind of tests. So I'm just curious, like among your colleagues, like how many of them nerd out on the architecture and design the way that you do? Well, the way I do, there's probably, <laughs> I mean, there's probably a handful or so right off the top of my head. Kendall Dye and Marissa Steen are two um, our fellow architect heads that I know of. And we do talk a bit about uh, our favorite architects. I, if I remember, Kendall's is C.B. McDonald. And much like myself, Marissa is a huge Donald Ross fan. That's cool. I mean, uh... Do you think that what percentage of the players in this week's field have never even heard of Donald Ross? Give me a guess. Honestly, it's probably pretty low. I, I would, <laughs> it, and I guess it's all dependent on what you consider low. I would, I would say about twenty percent or so. Yeah. Okay. Everyone has different uh, different priorities when it comes to golf courses. A lot of times, you just hear, "Man, these greens are big," or "Man, this course is hard," and that's about <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, on the PGA Tour, um, there's plenty of guys who don't care about, don't think about course architecture whatsoever. They just, all they want to do is make birdie. That's it. Like, they, that's the sum total of their interest in the golf course. And so, for sure. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's ultimately your mandate. But I think it's probably, if you're going to spend so much time on golf courses and travel the world like you guys do, I mean, it probably is more satisfying to immerse yourself in that world a little bit and, and, and learn along the way. 
I would think so. I know it does for me. Um, you know, like the the trip in Europe where we just had a couple months ago where I was traipsing about on all of these uh, old classic golf courses and just having the time of my life and, you know, finding out the history like Mr. Hogan when he went, excuse me, Ben Hogan, when he was over at Panmuir uh, prior to the open at Carnoustie. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do get it at the same time. And And if I was a guy that hit it 330 yards, architecture doesn't have a whole lot of relevance when you're just hitting drivers and, you know, it's a DCP tour, the drive, chip and putt where, you know, you're not a lot of these corners and a lot of these cambers, you don't have to be quite as concerned about as a, you know, um, an LPGA player, a female professional or things like that, where you have to actually, you know, really use the ground or kind of really know the shot shapes that you're, you're hitting because again, we're not hitting at 330 yards. So the regular listener, listeners will have uh, caught your little Mr. Hogan thing, which I was giving you grief about and uh, previously. But I, we never we never drilled down this. Do you call Nancy Lopez Ms. Lopez? Is there like a Ms. Carner? Is, is there an LPGA equivalent to the, the dreaded Mr.? I would say it's different. Uh, Kathy Whitworth, I call, I, I tried to call her, Ms. Whitworth. Um, But again, these are people that I know. These are people that I've encountered throughout my life that I've had the opportunity and the the privilege of being able to build friendships with. So for me, Nancy Lopez is Nancy. Um, You know, Julie Inkster is Julie. Kathy Whitworth, I try to call her Ms. Whitworth, but I generally call her Kathy. Joanne Connor, we call her Big Mama. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's different. Yeah. It's, it's different when you don't, you know, when you don't have that personal connection to someone, it's, it's, you know, you hold someone in a different type of reverence. Um, whereas like, yeah, it's funny because you'll get someone like a Pat Bradley where she calls, she remembers every caddy's name. She calls every tour player pro. (laughs) Except for me, she calls me Christina, which is really, really, that's very, very special to me. Because um, is it, is she trying to assert her, her dominance or she doesn't care enough to learn people's names? Well, I mean, you know, she, one, she is older. She was older when I first met her. Um, that's true. So I'm, I'm not sure. I would have to assume on a side, you know, deep down on a psychological level is because she wants to assert her dominance and just sort of, <laughs> you know, just, just kind of. You know, she always wants to be the 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 alpha female, which I I I, I can't say I get, but I can comprehend that, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, which is which is very uh, it's very funny. But I'm always like, you know, I'll see her, you know, maybe twice a year, and every now and again, she'll be walking up and down the range, like, hey pro, hey pro, hey pro. She's like, Christina, hi, how are you? <laughs> that is satisfying. I can't remember yeah. if we talked about this last time, but uh, or previously, but. Um, Ben Hogan always called Arnold Palmer fella and it, it bugged Arnie to his, his, the end of his days. Like he, he never, Hogan would never acknowledge him by name. It was just fella. Even when, as, as Hogan would talk to, you know, other, other pros and, and differently. And so it's just, it's so funny. Those subtle little things that get under your skin and did, was Hogan doing that on purpose? Maybe, um, maybe not. Who knows? But it, it, I, I, for a fact that it bothered Arnie. So it's kind of funny. That's incredible. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so you actually, so I'm, I'm basically 
on lockdown from from writing any future stories until I get this mm-hmm. Mickelson book done on December first, and then I can sleep that entire day. And then December second, I can't wait to start like plunging back into feature writing for Fire Pit Collective. Um, and I've been thinking I want to go hang out with Joanne Carner and just like talk about life. We'll smoke cigarettes. You know, I don't really smoke and. You know, we'll, we'll we'll put whiskey in our coffee, like whatever she wants. I'm down for whatever, and um, and just like how great would that be, just to get her going? I mean, she's always been one of my favorite people, and now there's kind of like this cult has grown up around Big Mama because she just keeps going, and she's like so authentically herself. But is that an A plus idea, or is that like just an A plus plus idea? I think that is A plus plus. The well, I will give it A plus plus because I cannot envision you with a cigarette in your mouth. <laughs> that's the only thing i mean yeah my, my lungs are somewhat virgin but you know again you, you gotta do what you gotta do for the story so have i ever candy told cigarette you that... maybe oh yeah no I, I used to love those you could blow it was like the powdered sugar would come out uh-huh. like... <laughs> have i ever told you my rick ross story you know the hip-hop guy the, the hip-hop artist you you have not <laughs> so at the super bowl in miami when the saints won um, I was kind of there working on something else. It's a, it's a really long story. But I didn't have to write that night. So Lee Jenkins, great SI scribe, was doing the Super Bowl story. I was like, I will be your reporter. I'll just run around and get material for you. And it was awesome. I was going in and out of both locker rooms. I was chasing people around, got, you know, sprayed with champagne and um, um, the whole bit. But earlier in the week, I had linked up with Uncle Luke, you know, Luther Campbell of Two Live Crew, was like the unofficial mayor of Miami. And of course, Jeremy Shockey like caught the winning touchdown. He was a Miami guy. I had no idea. I mean, I had no doubt they were going to be like celebrating that Sunday night after the Super Bowl together. So I'm texting Luke, no answer. And finally, I, I said, "Is Shockey with you?" And finally, at like 2:30 a.m., he's like, "Yeah, come down to Club Cameo up in the VIP." I was like, "I'm there." So I Club Cameo was like, you know, Miami Beach. <clears throat> Or South Beach is uh, obviously pretty fancy and sparkly, but you don't have to go too many blocks until it gets um, a little rough. And so I show up at, at Club Cameo. I'm literally the only white guy there, which is fine. I love that stuff. You know, I, that's part of this job. You have to be a chameleon and you just you just fit in wherever the, the job takes you. And so I walk up to the back VIP room and there's this immense bouncer. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here to see Luke. And it's like, this is right out of a movie. He just like stares me up and down. He's like, mm-hmm. I said, no, for real. Like he texted me. I gave, I gave my card. I had a Sports Illustrated business card. Like rolls his eyes and he disappears. And he comes back and I'm trying to read his body language. And he's like so disappointed that like I could actually go in the VIP. <laughs> he's like, he really <laughs> didn't want to let me in. So I go back there and it's such a scene. There's tons of ball players and all these, you know, model type slinky women. And, um, and Luke is surrounded and I'm, I'm I'm trying to like figure out what's going on. So I just kind of stand in the corner and Rick Ross is there and he is smoking a blunt the size of a baseball bat. And <gasps> he's just, he's looking at me like, you know, and I was like dressed like in my reporter costume, you know, I've got like a little Oxford shirt and, you know, tucked into <gasps> my, my chinos. Like, you know, I was like, I was not dressed for club cameo. And, um, and so Rick Ross is just staring at me and he starts blowing his smoke in, in my direction just to like haze me. We're only about three or four feet away. And I'm just standing there like, 
you know, I, I hadn't, I couldn't like lock eyes with Luke and I hadn't, I was just a little like trying to get my, my sea legs under me. And meanwhile, I'm getting this spectacular contact high just from Rick Ross. And uh, anyway, finally, uh, I got Chalky. I sent, I sent all this info to, to Lee Jenkins and the story was greatly enlivened by my reporting. And by the time I got out of there, it was like 5 a.m. And I think I had like an eight o'clock flight. So I, was, I just I walked on the beach and I went and packed up my stuff and I took off. I never went to sleep that night. So that is that was, amazing. Yeah, that was that was like a memorable, um, you know, re reportage. Uh, that's I mean, that's the fun thing about my job, honestly, is it takes me into unexpected places where I would. I would never go. I have another story like that. Do you want to hear it, Christina? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> so there was a football player named Lawyer Malloy who was at, he was a, like All-American at University of Washington. And so I went to go, to go meet up with him and Lawyer was super cool. And I had, I had a convertible Mustang, a rental car, and he sees the car. He's like, you're driving. I said, okay, cool. So we go and we pick up a couple of his buddies. And we, again, we go to this club somewhere in, you know, somewhere in Seattle, uh, probably has appeared in some, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot lyrics. And, and so there's all these UW football players. And then some Seattle Seahawk guys came in. And meanwhile, Lawyer starts dancing with this spectacular blonde and they're just grinding and whatever. I'm like, wow, okay, this is good material for my story. Uh, but apparently this girl had some relationship with one of the Seahawks. And so all of a sudden there's like, probably two dozen very large dudes like jaw to jaw on the dance floor <laughs> and uh, lawyers in the middle of it. And it was just like a mess. Right. And so um, finally we get swept out onto the sidewalk and, you know, everyone's testosterone is pumping and it's like super overheated. And there's like this little pregnant pause. And I said, I said to lawyer, I was like, Hey, just so you know, if anything went down there in the club, I had your back. <laughs> And there was just like two or three seconds of silence. And these guys are like, what the what? And of course they were, they were cracking up and, you know, broke the tension and we wound up going out for like the burgers or whatever. And it just kind of mellowed out. But, uh, so yeah, there's, you know, in my, back in the SI days when I was doing more than golf, a lot of funny things happen like that, which, you know, again, that's, that's one of the fun parts of the job. That is amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> Nothing too comfortable on the, on the, on the, uh, on the golf beat. Um, although there was in, in Argentina, when I went down to Cordoba to, uh, to hang with Angel Cabrera after he, he won the U S open. And that was an unbelievable experience. The whole thing, this tiny little town and tracing his journey from this little rusted out tin shack with no running water by the side of an arroyo where he kind of grew up with his grandma. And now he has this hilltop mansion, but he's still kind of, as we know now, Cabrera's kind of, he, he never outgrew the streets in, in some ways. And um, so there was this, this dinner at this dance hall and, um, you know, you go in, you, you walk in, into the restaurant and like they would bar the door so no one could get in or out. And Cabrera wound, wound up drinking so much. He fell backwards in his chair onto the cement floor. Like, you know, I was crack his skull kind of thing. And um, so that was, that was memorable. That The whole trip was was nutty that whole night was, was such a mess and Cabrera winds up going from this this dinner and he winds up back in basically his old neighborhood and he roused one of his buddies in the middle of the night he's like we need an asada which is you know kind of like a like a cookout and 
somehow they they scavenge like some scrap metal and some wood and they build this fire like basically in this dude's yard and um and they like cook whatever and eat it in the middle of the night probably with their hands and um the the next morning uh, luis fernando yosa the reporter i was working with he was my translator we had a, we were trying to find Cabrera. Like it just disappeared. We went to this guy's house, and like the the, the embers were still kind of smoldering. He told us the whole story. It was like that was how the how was how I ended my article because it was just like so primal. And uh, you know, you can win you can win a Masters and uh, a U.S. Open, and you can you can make all this money and whatever. But like Cabrera never he he was always that guy. And uh, of course now he's in the pokey because he. He does have a temper and apparently um, that never changed either. So it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's when you parachute into people's lives for these stories, like unexpected things happen. No doubt. No doubt. That is amazing. <laughs> what a great, that, and that's yeah. like, those are like just moments in your life. <laughs> I was so fucking cool. I mean, I have told this story before, but I don't think on this podcast, do you know the, the Dustin Johnson, Natalie Gulvis story? Which one? <laughs> this is back, like, whatever, the late 2000s. I'm doing a feature on Dustin, and I go and hang out with him in, in South Carolina. He's living with his girlfriend. They have a dog. It's, like, super domestic. And we went to probably, you know, three dinners together and went out in his boat. And it was kind of like how Dustin Johnson's, like, you know, he's grown up and he's matured and all this and that. And <sighs> So this is, like, maybe – this is, like, October or November. And – um, it was going to be a master's preview story. That was always how it was envisioned. So I had the luxury of time and I go to Kapalua to keep reporting the story and just cover the tournament, whatever. And I'm standing by the clubhouse and Natalie sashays by, and I'd, I'd done a big feature on her maybe like a year earlier. So we were, uh, we were, you know, we had a good, we had a good mojo. And I was like, Natalie, what are you doing here? She gives me a hug. She's like, well, I just, I just came from the airport and I'm kind of here hanging out with Dustin. I was like, Oh really? Like what do you mean like hanging out? She's like, Well, you know, we're we're kinda like having a thing, but I, she's like, I don't wanna she's like I don't wanna say anything. I'll let I'll let Dustin handle our PR. <laughs> I was oh like, gosh. Okay, Natalie, whatever. So she goes out to watch him and um and then Dustin finishes and I wanted to talk to him, of course, for the story. But he signs his card and in a dead sprint, and we know Dustin's a good athlete, he sprints up the hill from the, the little scoring shack to the club, and he's gone because <laughs> Natalie's back in the hotel room waiting for him. They haven't really seen each other yet. Like, he, he, you've never seen such urgency out of Dustin Johnson, right? And now, the Mercedes Championship, you know, it's very intimate. All the reporters are staying in the same place as the players. And, and like, you, see, you just see people all week long in the gym, at breakfast. Like, there's no way you can hide a Natalie Gulbis at the Ritz-Carlton for three or four days, right? Like, it's going to get out. And I figured I might as well be the one who breaks the story because I'm already in the middle of this big Dustin mm -hmm. piece. And so, but, you know, so Natalie kind of confirmed it, but I felt like I should try and get some comment from Dustin. And so I'm like, all right, fuck it. I, so I call the Ritz switchboard. I'm like, can I have the room with Dustin Johnson, please? And of course, Dustin is not clever enough to use a different right. name. Not back then. <laughs> so, so they patch me through. And the phone rings and rings and rings. And finally, he answers it. He's like, hello? I was like, oh, hey, Dustin. It's Alan Schiff. like, how you doing, man? Uh, just wanted to, you know, ask you a couple. He's like, no, call me back in an hour. Click. And like hangs up. I was like, all right, well, apparently Dustin and Natalie are busy. And so 
I called back in an hour, no answer. I was like, ah, fuck it. The story's coming out. I already got it from Natalie. They're clearly like a thing. So I wrote up just kind of a cute little cheeky item about how, um, you know, they were a couple. So then, as you recall, that was very short-lived because Dustin still had this girlfriend. Yes. And, um, and so Natalie and her people are blowing up my phone after it all goes, you know, goes south. And they want me to like tweet about how Dustin is like, you know, done or dirty kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm not going to get in the middle of this anymore. Like, I'm sorry I even had to write this story, but it, someone had to write it. It's out. I'm like, I'm not going to start tweeting about the inner workings of the breakup. And, um, and so now Dustin is defending champ at the Crosby clam bake. So he comes in for like a, a media day mm -hmm. in maybe early January or something. And so I'm like, all right, I gotta go see Dustin, like Christ clear the alive. air. And so I see him, I'm like, Hey man, you know, I kind of wait till it's all over. I get him off the side. I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I blew up your spot. He's like, ah, oh, man, it's cool. Don't do <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, it, I put in my story. Like, you know, everyone always says Dustin has a short memory. He can get, get over anything. Any kind of heartbreak on the golf course. It's like, well, Got over Natalie really quick, so apparently you know he can't get over. Oh my so god! It was, yeah, it was that was a total mess. But um, there was a period where I had like three or four years in a row um, when Adam Scott and Kate Hudson mm. were like frolicking on the beach at at um, in Maui. Yep. I, I I had that first, put it out there. <laughs> I never wanted to be the National Enquirer, but it's like again, like. Everyone's see they're there. And then when, when Paulina showed up at the Mercedes for the first time, I had that. Like, I probably, I should have been like a gossip columnist because, um, you know, you have to have a certain eye for these things. And also, I guess you just have to like be willing to put it out there and deal with whatever, whatever blowback there is. Although there really wasn't much. I mean, again, these between social media and everything else, there's not really any secrets anymore. So um, anyway. Dustin, Natalie, I'm sorry. Didn't work I out, mean, but, let's um, be real though. Like these are things that happened to you and around you. Like it, it's, this know, wasn't you. Exactly. Yes. Oh, I know. I mean, oh God, it was so funny. Well, this yeah, must that, have happened. But, this would have happened in like the early 2010s then, because I remember mm -hmm. like, um, when we wrote our book as I was, um, uh, you know, as we were doing our tour and, and all of that in the spring into summer of 2010, I don't even remember how I sent a copy to, uh, Graham McDowell. I sent a copy to, I sent a copy to Dustin Johnson and Natalie told me she was, she was like, oh yeah, she was like, cause you know, at the time, like they were, they were both in Vegas a lot. She was living there and he was, uh, working a lot with Butch and what have you. And she was like, yeah, she was like, I was at his, I was at his I, I believe um, she was at his place. Uh, I, I I don't exactly remember how that part of it went, but she was like, yeah, like your book was on the bookshelf. And I was like, I can't believe I sent a book with words to Dustin Johnson. And I remember I, I, I personalized it. I was like, hey, Dustin, um, it was somebody like, you know, huge fan of yours. Uh, if you ever want to play a round or play a round, here's my number. Like, <laughs> Just for shits and gigs, I think I did the same thing with Graham McDowell. Like pretty much a, a bunch of a bunch of the guys, I you know anybody that's like kind of golfy, I would send the same thing to that I was comfortable with them having my number. Um, so this was this that's this would have been post um, swinging from my heels release. Yeah, whatever whatever that yeah. was, maybe it was eleven or twelve. I could look. Oh it up, my gosh! But, uh, anyway, that's incredible. So 
Oh God. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is the fun part of of the golf beat is you just like things just happen and you're just there. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a, that's exactly what it is. Mm. Things just happen. I mean, actually in Vegas, I was doing a story that, that back when Las Vegas was the last tournament of the year and you had to finish in the top 125 and it was a big stress fest and added on top of that, it's Las Vegas. So there's always a lot of stuff going on. And, um, I won't, I won't reveal the player, but, they um they just sneaked into the top 125 and it, he was like and it but it was he waited around for hours in the press room to see cause, uh you know the scoring terminals and this i'm this i'm trying to think what year this would have been like this is probably maybe even before the iphone so like it, you, the oh, best information God. was in the press room and so he was like there just watching the scores come oh. in and finally it, get, it gets like it's done he runs out he's like i'm, I'm gonna party my ass off tonight oh. and and as it turns out um there was another reporter was staying in that hotel and uh, apparently this player was was celebrating with um with a woman who was not his wife, but, and his wife flew in to celebrate that he had clinched top 125. And there was like a whole screaming, like match in the hallway. And this reporter peeks his head out. He's like, Oh, and he made eye contact with the player. And it was just, the guy just closed his door. I was like, ah, I better not. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I don't think that ever appeared in print. And, um, Holy shit. Yeah, it's just, I know. Yeah. It, that was a classic. Um, yeah, I mean, because a lot of times you, you wind up staying in the same places as the players. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try and get in those hotels because you just, the observational reporting is great. And uh, like I was at the, the Four Seasons in Dallas um, back when it was that, the Byron Nelson was played there, uh, whatever the name of that course was, Las Colinas, I think. And um, I'll never forget on Sunday. It was the Four Seasons yeah. at Las Colinas, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, Ernie comes out. This is Sunday, and he'd, he'd made a run at winning. He didn't win, and he, Ernie's got huge hands, and he had, like, a beer in, in each webbing. <laughs> so, like, one, eight. two. He had, like, eight beers just stuck in between his fingers and got in the back of this, uh, like, town car. I was like, damn. And, uh, you probably, you probably actually, didn't see it, the carton of Marlboro, Marlboro Reds in there at the same time. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that was, so that was uh, another guy named David Dusak, who's a reporter, wound yeah. up having a big night with Ernie. I think it was, I think it was that same, um, not the same week, but the same uh, hotel. And Ernie calls like down to room service. He's like, can you bring me a, a pack of cigarettes? And they're like, well, sir, it's, it's a no smoking hotel. It's like, what's the charge to clean the room if you smoke? And they're like, $500. He's like, Go find some cigarettes and bring them to me. <laughs> like that's that's fu money right there. That you is. Don't even care. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I have a similar story that I was told by someone uh, that's that's pretty close to him. Like over the years, like say more with business, and he would say, "Yeah, that's when Theodore comes out." Is is his alter <laughs> ego, and and it was the same thing where it was like a hotel, and he was just like he was like, "Get me some cigarettes," and they're like, "Well, you can't smoke in the room," and it was the same situation, and he had a. Uh, his private jet was going to, I think, West Palm to pick up his wife and the kids and then going onward to London, I want to say, or else maybe to Portugal. And his caddy, um, 
was going to fly commercial and he was like, no, fuck it. You're getting on the plane with us. Let's go. Like we're having too much fun. We're having too good of a time. So everybody piles in to this aircraft. They go, they pick up his wife and kids and there's like, like it, it it's basically been hot box with cigarette smoke. And <laughs> when she walks in and the nanny's there and she's just like, oh my gosh, like, are you going to go into the back? And she was like, go into the back. No, you go in the back with the kids. I'm fucking staying right here. And so she partied with them all the way to, let's say it was Portugal and they dropped everybody, <laughs> like got up, got off and left. And the caddy was like, I live in London and I'm in the private terminal of an airport or they flew into London and he lived in port. He was going to Portugal or something like it was one of those things where he was like, this is not the end of my journey. And they're like, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, bud. Yeah, it's actually is the end of your journey. The rest, uh, they don't really care about that's that, that was probably Ricky, like that caddy that Ernie had off and on forever. He yes. Quite a character. Long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, when he so gets funny. when he gets in a way, that's when Theodore comes out. Ernie Ernie goes away for a little while. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, it's now become this. This is like an urban legend that's since been fleshed out. But him and Steve Marino are on are on a plane together. Uh, you know, Steve Marino is a a tour player who had a nice yeah. run for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one of the first. He's one of the first guys I think who kind of helped colonize Jupiter actually as as kind of a, a hangout yes. for tour players, and. So they're they're on the they're on the plane and they're drinking whatever and, and Ernie says, "Okay, now we fight." And they wind <laughs> up like wrestling in the aisles of this G five, like toss each other around. And I'm sure the, the captain and whoever's like, "What the hell is going on back there?" But um, yeah, that, that's a classic. Ernie's actually told that story uh, a few times. It's <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, you gotta love Ernie Els. It's yeah, hard to envision because I mean, Steve and Steve Marino seems like just like a super, like just a nice chilled out dude, but hard to imagine him just like, you know, yeah, I'm just going to hop in a jet with, with, with Ernie Els kind of a thing, you know, like they, they yeah. just seem so different. That was, it was interesting. So I reported this story. It hasn't come out yet for, um, for golf digest as kind of part of this content sharing uh, agreement we have with them. And so they wanted a piece on Jupiter and, how it's become the center of the golf universe. I mean, it, it's been going that way for a while, mm -hmm. but it's really accelerated with all these new courses being built, including Michael Jordan's and Phil's moving there. And, you know, you can go on down the list of, of how it is five of the 12 guys on the Ryder Cup team are from Jupiter. And, um, but what was interesting is, you know, the, the, the center of gravity shifted. Everyone was in Orlando yep. in Lake Nona. And as was explained to me by a few different tour guys, like that was really before the big money had had changed everything and so everyone wanted orlando had a great airport and um that that was the hub and then as soon as that even like kind of the average to upper echelon tour guy could afford a private you know fractional aircraft then everyone moved to the coast where you most people would rather be anyway and and so that that was kind of uh the, the timeline like tiger came all the the, mon the big money came in and, and everyone just fled for the coast and, um although the a lot of people who still live in, in Lake Nona mm -hmm. and, and Isleworth are like the Europeans who do have to fly back home a lot. And that's quite prohibitive on a private aircraft. So they still want the international flight. Yeah. But and you can fly anyway, direct to of... London from Orlando or at least yeah, exactly. in the before times you definitely could. And you can fly direct into Dubai. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's a couple, there's a handful of options. Uh, you can fly into Munich. No, yeah, Frankfurt, sure. Frankfurt. Um, yeah, it is. It is fascinating. There was like a, a, a short period of time in the in between where every like all the guys were instead packing up and heading over to Albany. You remember that with like Justin Rose and I think oh, yeah. 
a, a ton of the European guys um, actually end up going to Albany. And I think some of them are still there, which is, it's an interesting move. Pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's in the Caribbean, right? Uh, I mean, that's Bahamas, just, that's just if I'm not mistaken. Thing. Bahamas. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like a tax shelter, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder how many nights anyone ever spent there, Baker's Bay or whatever, you know, you go for, you go for a few weeks a year on vacation, but you claim that as your residence and it gets you out of all kinds of tax stuff. Um, supposedly talk it that's that's a that's an <laughs> echelon of wealth that i am not familiar yeah yeah well um indeed <laughs> i can't even, well this is one of those classic episodes where we're just like just whatever the, the mood takes us but why don't why don't you ground things in 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 your tournament week here a little bit i mean will you sneak into new york city at all to have some fun you're not that far away or this is just you now you're just in grind mode i mean we're it, it it's all relative because we're not that far away is still what 45 minutes into mm-hmm. the city that's that's a long time i'm i mean i where i'm staying right now i'm i'm about between 19 and 24 minutes from the golf course with the uh, my Airbnb, and that is at the outer limits of where I'd be willing to stay by way of the golf course because I just don't want to be in a car for that long. Um, so we'll we'll see. You know, I mean, I, I love the city, and it's a great time of year um, here. You know, in in autumn here yeah. in October in the Northeast is just spectacular. But you know, part of part of me is like, you know what. Life is fleeting, but life is very long. So, you know, realistically, until things start calming down, um, you know, with with the pandemic, especially with the colder weather, people are gathering more indoors and, you know, the Delta variant shit and Lord knows Lambda's on its way. Um, Between that and just, you know, some of some of the heated politics that are going on right now, I think it's it's probably better to just sort of just kind of focus on 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 where I am now and I'm a 2 hour flight from the city living in Orlando so it's it's very quick and easy for me if I wanted to go up for a weekend or something like that um, Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Just yeah. to New York to goof off. Yeah, I did that once, That's twice awesome. maybe. I did well, I did that <laughs> once for business but it was like it was when I was signing with Octagon back when it was Octagon when they they actually yeah. um uh, represented golf players um, in the states. They focus a lot more now on just events um, and every other and influencers. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so I did go up there and then you know traipsed about, but a lot of it is you know going to K Town, going to Chinatown, things like that. And and again, you know, just just I've I've never been to Times Square. I can I can I can readily admit that, and I, I'm okay with that for now. That will change, <laughs> yeah, at some point because it's it, it's fun. At, you know, it's really fun at eleven o'clock at night when all the uh, shows let out on Broadway, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden just gets flooded by people, and everyone's in a great mood because they've just seen some, you know, stimulating performing arts, and it's kind of nighttime in New York, and um, like you don't have to spend much time in. in in Times Square, there's not really much there, but it, it's definitely fun to walk through it um, at, at that moment. And, um, but yeah, I mean, Times Square ain't much, but there's so many other other great things to do. But yeah. so, what is? How are you feeling about your game right now? And I, I know you didn't you didn't have the best um, last, last three week weeks. Journey, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's actually it's funny because yeah. my dad called me after after my first round and was like, "You shot six under the last time you were there." 
what are you doing? And and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm under playing so much with my hands right now that it is just like, because for me, you know, I, I was talking about my putting woes and things like that, but there's just always, there's something like that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And it was just like, son of a bitch, my hands are so far under playing and I'm not rotating and, you know, my wrists are, are, are bowing way too much, way too early. That's causing it to go under plane. It's, it's different from just swinging shallowly. Like it's just this. So, you know, I, it was like after I, uh, had my shitty round on Friday, Todd and I went to the range and, and we're working on a few things. And then Saturday came around and, you know, played, played better, not didn't, you know, broke par, but it was nothing, you know, it's just, it's. I love that fucking golf course and it's, I've had so much success over there, but it was just one of those things where it was like, well, if I don't have nine birdies today, chances are I'm not going to make the cut. Um, and after the round, we went back to the range and hit balls again. Um, and then made our way up to New Jersey. I did go to Island, is it Island beach state park. And I caught two flounders, um, <laughs> fly fishing, on on the beach with a fly that I myself had personally tied. It was pretty fucking cool. Um, and <laughs> did, did you catch and release or, did, or was that like dinner? Well, two things. One, the flounder season had just ended probably the weekend before. Um, and two, I, I, for the most part, I'm, I'm going to do catch and release unless it's like I am specifically going to make dinner and you know, we did not go with a cooler or um, a knife to gut the fish or anything like that. Like the vast majority yeah, of our, our, our fishing is going to be catch and release just because it's, you know, it's just fun to, you know, have a little bit of a fight with the fish and everything. Poor thing was probably terrified. And for that, I am sorry. But, you know, just send them on their way and, and just send them off. Just um, <laughs> a lot of fun. And there was when I was casting because it was the tide was starting to creep back in like I was kind of I was walking down a little ways from this one spot where I'd caught everything and this guy like just totally like swope he 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 um he sniped in and like took my spot and Todd was like dude what the hell and like we kind of turned around and the guy had caught a flounder but again the season was over so he was like oh this fucking fish just kicks it like a football straight back in the water. And I'm like, what, oh, is, that, what is going on? And, and Todd was like that. He's like this, all of these things are just such poor, you know, fishing etiquette. And he was like, you know what? He was like, you should really go and reclaim. Some respect your- for the fish. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he was like, well, you should probably go and try and reclaim your spot. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't know what that <laughs> yeah. means. So I was just doing what I was doing. While I was just like casting and, and it was sort of like when you have a dog that knows it's not allowed to sit on the couch, but it just kind of like looks at you and then sort of like <laughs> backs its way in. And then it, it gets like one hind leg onto the couch and then the other. It's like, I'm not I'm not on the couch. Yeah. Like I'm we're maintaining eye contact this whole time. And <laughs> so I was just sort of, you know, backing it up into back towards my spot. And I wasn't paying attention because I was like just actually actively trying to feel like you know what the hell casting is and Todd was watching he was cracking up he was like yeah the guy like he like sort of noticed you coming in and he was getting he was like you know like whatever and then because the guy was just beach fishing and I was fly fishing on the beach and you know I'm sitting there thinking that I'm holding Excalibur like I have no fucking clue what I'm doing and so the guy was just kind of like uh 
And he just like picked up his stuff and then like walked away. Cause I, I don't know how close I got the fly anywhere near him, but he was like, I don't, this is not, I, I you know, it, it looks okay over there too. I'm going to go on that side. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's kind of a nice new hobby for you. Uh, this is like a new thing. So I'm happy for yeah. you. Cause it, I've, I've only done a little bit of fly fishing, but there is something very rhythmic and peaceful about the whole thing. And obviously by definition, if you're fly fishing, you're probably standing somewhere pretty, and you're in nature and like i would think that's just good for the soul to be out there absolutely and just being in the salt water is great and it was funny because you know you have to walk up you know it's it's you know maybe like 400 yards or something like that through the sand and everything and i just remember thinking like where oh okay okay we're on island beach state park we're not anywhere near we're closer than we are in california or in florida or in in oregon but we're not where the long island killer was dumping all of those sex workers bodies because it was it was the same thing of like you know you get those like tussocks and everything and you get like the the small um wooden fencing and everything going and i was just like is this what uh like i mean i'm not scared because i mean i'll i'll protect the shit out of todd and me and and and, you know worst case he can protect us as well but i was just like we'll be we'll totally be okay but i was like this is kind of it's kind of spoopy and it's it it is beautiful though, and I love being in parts of New Jersey that are so different from what anybody ever thinks of New Jersey because everyone thinks New Jersey ah it's Newark, and it's like you right. what is wrong with you? It's gorgeous here. Like you got these huge what was it like the two eighty or the two eighty seven? You got these huge rock quarry like rock uh, cliff, uh you know stone cliffs along the highway and everything. Like it's it's, it's beautiful. Lots of changes yeah, in and elevation. The Jersey Shore is pr- yeah, there's a lot of nice beaches too. So when I was living in New York City, um, the Sports Illustrated work week, everyone had basically Sunday and Monday were the big days to get the magazine off to the printer. Then we get Tuesday and Wednesday off. This is when I was working. Um, this is basically mid to late 90s. I was just there as I was, I was a writer, but most of my friends were working in the office. And so we would rent a house on the Jersey Shore and go down there on Tuesday, Wednesday when it was totally mm. dead in the summertime and play golf and and be on the beach and uh have, we had it all to ourselves like there was no evidence of like snooky and, and those kind of jersey shore characters because you know it's a totally different scene on the weekends but yeah a lot of nice little public golf courses mm-hmm. and um there's there's some there's there's some neat spots there so yeah i would say jersey's an underrated uh state in general and there's i mean you've got pine valley you've you've got Baltusrol. Uh, you know Baltus Raw, Mount Ridge, you have Essex County Country Club. Yeah, Essex Club. County. I mean, there's there's tons of good golf. Ridgewood, so. yeah. There's there's a there's a bunch of really oh, good yeah, Ridgewood courses. Is yeah, no, it's great. And you have those bagels so, or bagels. How do people pronounce them around here? Bagels. Oh, also, some Somerset Hills. Ooh. That's one of my favorites. Have, have you not played there? played there yet. Oh God, it is. If you said like I'd, I'd, 10 rounds between Pine Valley and Somerset Hills, I'd probably take at least four at Somerset, wow. maybe five. Wow. It, is, it is so pure. I feel like I have a friend who's a member there and they have one of the most absurd Ryder Cup-esque events of anywhere in the country. I feel like it might be at Somerset Hills. I, I, I could be wrong, but I feel that could be. like there's, it's... There's a bunch of USGA types who are members mm-hmm. there. Like it, it's, um, it's definitely... It's a pretty cool membership, uh, notwithstanding the blue coats. But yeah, um, anyway, <laughs> just kidding. I like the USGA. Their heart's in the right place. They screw a lot of things up, but their heart is in the right place. That um, means that they're human. Come on. 
Everyone's doing their I best. And you can't please no, I always everybody. say that like between the players, the PGA tour, the agents, the equipment companies, everyone's trying to make money except for the USGA. They're just, you know, yeah, they but they're the ones that sustain do themselves. Make money. <laughs> they do make money, but that's not their mandate or their, their mission. Like, um, whereas everyone else that's, you know, that's their God. So the USGA makes mistakes, but I'll I'm more inclined to take their side in all these scuffles because, uh, they are there's a more of a purity to what what they're what they're supposed to absolutely. be absolutely absolutely yeah. anyway we digress well this has been like a super discursive fun episode but um um i don't know what else do we have give me two minutes on on up? on bryson in the long drive <laughs> i i mean i watched i was one of the forty thousand plus people that watched i watched as <laughs> was it it was it was bobby was it bobby dwyer no ah, shit, i'm so bad with names but Mike Dobbin and Bobby, I forget his last name, uh, were the two announcers on their YouTube channel. They did a phenomenal job, I thought. Everybody loved those guys. I, I watched a little bit, but it was, there was so much Bryson long drive content, it kind of turned me off. But objectively, what he did was incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. that's like, it's a completely different sport than what he does for his day job Absolutely. in a lot of ways. And, um, I think he showed that accuracy is more important than people think, especially when it got windy. Just like keeping it on the grid became important. And so. But he still got 219 uh, ball speed. Like, that's yeah, pretty bad. He's not the longest. He's not the longest driver of the golf ball in the world, but he's probably the longest, straightest driver. I mean, yeah. it's it really a pretty incredible performance. And I mean, I'm trying to think of what the. Um, I guess it'd be like leading the NBA in scoring and winning the slam dunk contest. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's. There's, there's some crossover between the, the physicality and, and stuff, but, you know, and I suppose Michael Jordan did that. That's why he's Michael Jordan. But there's, it's just, it's rare to have the, the, the power and the, um, just the physical gifts needed for that long drive. We'd also be able to actually get the golf ball in the hole. I mean, it's a, it's a big few weeks for Bryson. You know, I was at Whistling Straits, of course, and, the, the people there loved him. He was a lot of fun to watch in match play. And of course, everyone knows about his 417 yard drive on that par five. And he just brought a great energy to that. And he was really thriving on it because it was like the first time all year that everyone's been cheering for yeah. him. Right. And, um, and you could see just the lightness of being and, and then to go do it at the, at the long drive. I mean, maybe, maybe things have finally turned the corner for Bryson. I mean, he's kind of been, um, the whipping boy in a lot of ways and, and no question. A lot of it is his fault. He says a lot of dumb things and he, he makes some really head scratching decisions, but, um, it had gotten a lot of control. I mean, it, the, the heckling and the Brooksy stuff and all that. And I think he was pretty close to his breaking point. And, um, I do think the Ryder cup times the, the long drive was like a, a kind of a cool reset for him to, uh, remember that some, just just go out there and have fun and do your thing and you don't have to um engage in all this other stuff and and what what he does is objectively awesome i mean the, the way he he attacks a golf course and he he played great at the Ryder cup helped helped win that for the us mm -hmm. of a and what he did at the long drive was mind-boggling so it's like if i would we've talked about this before but i'd like to be able to appreciate bryson i mean i think so much of what he does is interesting and, and unique and cool but um, 
he just is, he can be his own worst enemy at times. But I, I do feel like something in the air kind of changed uh, in this little stretch. We'll see if it, how long it sustains and if he can, you know, stay out of his own way. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. It was, and I, I, it was, it was interesting because just seeing for me, um, you know, catching the Ryder Cup, you know, was, was, it was it was awesome and it was phenomenal and I didn't catch much of the press conferences afterwards or anything but he just you know he he sounded less and I don't know if it's intentional what he normally does but there's a difference between sounding smart and intelligent and just sounding like you're better than everyone and really being able to be part of a team and be embraced by, you know, even if it's only a handful of guys. I don't know if it really truly was all 12 of them were were, were walking in step because it was it was a little bit eerie knowing that in their press conferences they all used the same terms. And, you know, it was, it was just kind of, I don't, I, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how authentic it really was, especially at the beginning of the week. I'm like, dude, once the tournament's over, then yeah, you guys can all say the same exact sentence at the same time. And, you know, that could show a sense of unity. But when they were just like, the camaraderie is amazing. We all talk about our <laughs> interests and we determine there are many in which we all have in common. Um, you know, especially <laughs> since there, there, there's so many of these guys are so different that you would be like, oh, really? Like, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, fucking nuclear fission justin thomas or any of those other guys you know um except for colin morikawa i look he looks like he'd be like mad into that kind of stuff but you know i (laughs) i feel like bryson when i was watching him doing the long drive after the Ryder cup like i i appreciated it and it was like dude you look like you fit in with these like these 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 big burly knuckleheads that are just fucking ripping at the ball you know and a couple of them actually had really good swings i was actually really impressed um Mm -hmm. but it was just like one of those things where i'm like dude like you can be a mathlete but don't be a like you know don't be a maths hole Uh, you know like (laughs) you can you can just just be a dude you know and and if someone you know, learn to read people because if they're not going to understand, you know, the, the probability of this or that or whatever, whatever, don't fucking bring it up in that way. Like put the effort into to try and say things in a way that other people would understand. And then you could say, you know, and that's called, you know, the, the, the probability of, you know, the, the, the precipitous, this, that, whatever of the, you know, this layer of our atmosphere or whatever the hell it is, you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's something that people can actually retain instead of just being like, I'm going to say this. And if you want to be on with me, you have to Google it. Like, you know, like you can, you can actually teach while you're doing it. And I felt like he chilled out a lot, you know? And I was like, dude, like, it's kind of cool just seeing his brute force. Like, and there was like, I felt really bad. Cause I was like, dude, I actually don't, I don't hate this guy when he just, just shuts his damn mouth. You know? <laughs> And I felt right. bad for saying I that, know. but it was just one of those things where I'm like, dude, there's, because there is, there is a huge amount of potential for him. And, um, you know, and, and he has been, you know, he's been bridging the gap and it's, it was great for the, uh, the, the, um, professional long drive association to have him there because they got, oh, you know, yeah. at one point there were over 40,000 people that were streaming the live stream of the, um, of the championship. I was one of them and I kept it on the whole time I watched, uh, you know, because of the timing of everything, I, I couldn't get out there until 
um, the master's division, which are the seniors, or if they call it the seniors, it used to be masters, but the, the, the gentlemen that are, you know, 45 and older also just wailing at the ball. Like it's, it, it, it was really, <laughs> yeah. really cool. And I watched the entire thing and, you know, watching, watching yeah. Dobbins and, and, and Bobby do their thing while they were announcing. And they were great because they had so much, they were able to share so much history of the sport. I really, really love that. And, and just hearing the passion in their voice and, and, and it's not just like, dude, right. did you see he hit the sword? Like it was, they, they actually genuinely cared, which I thought was really refreshing. Um, it was a little cheesy. It was like just being, sorry. Yeah. It was a little well, that, cheesy. That was kind of part of its charm. Yeah, but it, yeah. I, I just, I was just saying, it was just a little bit cheesy at the end when Bryson came and gave him his balls, gave Kyle the the balls that he hit, <laughs> you know, the four twenty five and then the four seventeen or whatever it was. But I was like, oh, it was just a little bit of cheese there, not in like a bad way. But I was like, hey, you you you're trying, you're trying, and that was really really bad. But it's better than it was in the past. So like, I'm seeing progress, and I'm proud of you, dude. I'm proud of you. I mean, it's kind of like. Um... You know, movie stars that used to be the the mystery surrounding them is what made them intriguing, and their the, their scarcity. You know, the ones who didn't do interviews and you didn't know anything about, they're the ones who could like disappear into the roles. And then modern media, you know, as you, you like Tom Cruise, I don't love Tom Cruise. Then you find out he's kind of a wing nut, and maybe you're not as into Tom Cruise anymore. And it's hard to when you're watching a movie, you're just thinking about him jumping on Oprah's couch and you know, all, all of his, his weird stuff with L Ron Hubbard and like Bryson would be better off taking a playbook from like the old movie stars where just, just give your performance. That's enough. And if, if he'd like shut everything down on social media and he cut back on his interviews, that would help him because then the focus would be more on his performance and what he's doing on the golf course, which is cool. But that's also just and shutting so, up and dribbling though, isn't it? To an extent. Well, I'm not talking about dodging social issues you care no, about. No, God, no, I'm, no, I'm not. About... But, but like the the overall broad thing of just, just, just show, you know, just. I'm not saying that should be everyone. For that's sure, not, that's not my 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 playbook for professional yeah, athletes yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying Bryson is a particular case. Mm-hmm. Like, the less we hear about and know about his everyday life and his thoughts on this and that, I think the the more the better it would be. And if he would just like return the focus to. Because what he does on the golf course is awesome, mm-hmm. and um, but it just it gets overshadowed by a lot of the bullshittery. So yes, at, anyway. at the same time though, as we see this progression that he makes, and as we see him mature, I mean, even like you know someone like Phil, someone like Dustin, someone like Tiger, you know these these guys that are you know really they're unbelievable athletes, and we're seeing the real human choices that they're making that emphasizes who they who they are so the fact that we've been able to see Bryson at such a young age and he's too damn old to be acting a fool now but you know he's 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 on his own path i think that you know that redemption arc is is something that i personally am really excited for you know and and i want to see that journey personally you know <laughs> and and you could trust okay. me you could be very very right in this because you've you know you you you've been around a lot more stars and a lot more greatness, um, you know, on the men's side, you know, but again, I'm sitting here, the ever, ever the optimist and, you know, just sort of, you know, using my, my, my emotions and things like that. And I'm just like, man, like he's, he's showing (laughs) progress. Like, you know, he's, he's dipping his toe in the water and, and part of it involves meeting people where they are instead of just expecting everyone to, you know, like heaven forbid the idea of people want to know what you mean by this. 
kind of a thing, you know, like actually go right. out halfway, meet them where they are, dumb it down a little bit if you have to, and then bring everybody back up together with you when you go into the full explanation of stuff. But, you know, you need to give, you need to have like a gateway sentence to, to be able to draw people in. And I think that he has the ability to do that, which I think is, is, is it shows massive growth. <laughs> and I could be so wrong. Well, I appreciate that you're, you're, you're no, I appreciate your optimism, Christina. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, I think that the time has come to release our listeners, but um, uh, it's great to reconnect. I, I legit missed you. Like, Aww. not talking in two weeks. Oh, Alan, it was, it was just I felt a little a little askew. So I'm glad I'm glad we're back. I and, am uh, too. Enjoy Mountain Ridge. Yeah, thank you. And. Um, as always, I'll be cheering for you from afar. So, thank you. Uh, anyway, you want to you want to like put the exclamation point on this podcast? Yeah. Well, I'll do the damn thing. Um, or the just the period. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, um, just thank you to everyone that's come along this journey with us. In so far, we have a long, long journey ahead of us as well. So hopefully, you'll stick around. Don't be afraid to. And hell, go ahead and do it. Go subscribe to our podcast give it a rating five stars would be awesome um and yeah until next week until next time christina kim signing off here so thank you for listening to full send with christina kim and alan shipnuck we out bye